with you guys. Yesterday, uh, I was at a wedding for a really dear friend, one of the one of the saints in our church. And so the parents and, you know, we were just kind of sitting there watching our kids play. And it was kind of a cute time. And, and uh, one of my kids was kind of sitting on this um, kind of like concrete um, thing with another one of the little girls in the church. And, you know, they're kind of holding hands. I was like, oh, that's so beautiful. And, and you know, my wife's like, Andrew, look at our kid. And I'm like, I know, like, arrange marriage. Like, let's set it up right now. It's awesome. And she's like, no, look at your other kid. And, and so I have two kids, a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And my other kid, his name's Corbin, he's got his pants on the ground, and he's just literally watering the grass. And I'm just like, yes, like he's potty trained. That's, that's my thought. Not like, no, let me run over there and stop him. I'm like, yes, he is potty trained. Awesome. And so those are just some great moments that happen when you're a parent. And um, yeah, I was a proud dad. I was a very, very proud dad. Well, hey, if you're new here, or uh, it's been a while, or uh, uh, you come every week, we are in the middle of our Game of Thrones series. So it's an exciting series, um, walking through the kingship of ancient Israel, walking through the dance in the Game of Thrones of what it took to put David on the throne of Israel, the most mentioned, noted, and praised king in all the Bible. And it, uh, it, we've, we've titled it Game of Thrones, and what's interesting about Game of Thrones is, you know, kind of an HBO miniseries, the entire series is all about who's going to sit on the Iron Throne. And here we see in the Old Testament, Game of Thrones kind of like did some copyright action on the Old Testament. So it's all about who's going to sit on the throne of Israel. And so we're brought into this drama that Shakespeare's got nothing on, HBO's got nothing on. It's this drama of kingship that unfolds in 1 Samuel. And so we looked at, the first week, we looked at the shepherd king. The next week, we looked at giant killer, very famous story of David killing um, Goliath. And then last week, we looked under the life under a jealous king. And every single week, new, a new character was introduced. And this week, we're going to introduce another character, the character of Jonathan, the son of the current rightful king, Saul. So some historical context, just to, just to catch you guys up. Um, you know, God kind of told Israel in the law, early in the Bible, he says, guys, you, guys, you don't want a king for yourself. You don't want to have a king. A king will make you fight in wars. A king will collect taxes on you. A king will take your sons and have them fight in battle, and you'll lose them. A king will take your daughters and marry them off. You Trust me, it's better living under God than under a king. Well, History unfolds, and Israel has judges, and then they start clamoring for a king. They are kind of this disunited tribal people in the land, but they think someone can unite us. A king could unite us and protect us. And this is a time, it's kind of a dark time, but God is still at work. And what's interesting is God in the law says, you don't want a king, but Israel comes back and says, no, we want to be like the nations who have a king. I just think that's interesting. It's the, the same temptation we see unfolding in our world. Satan tells Adam and Eve, don't you want to be like God? It's the same temptation to Israel. Don't you want to be like the nations? And we're going to unpack what it looks like, what friendship looks like. But I say that this is one of the heart of the things that destroy friendship. 
Don't you want to be like this person? Don't you want to have what they have? All of a sudden, envy, greedy, jealousy, power comes into play when something that shouldn't be about power is there. And friendship in the garden is destroyed. Friendship with God and then friendship between Adam and Eve is destroyed. And we're going to look at how kingship in this time and even how relationships when they're given over to power, when they're given over to status, when they're given over to prestige, when they're given over who's right versus who's not are destroyed. And I want to look at the remedy that went to this, which is the word covenant friendship. So we're going to talk about 10 key truths of friendship. Um, if you want to pull up the um, map real quick there, we got a map of Israel right behind me, just so you guys get a picture of what's going on here. So that Israel uh, area is in the orange. As you can see, there's enemies all around Israel. This is around 1000 BC. The chief enemy of Israel was the Philistines, Philistia. And we see that Israel's at a lot of disadvantages. This is why they want a king. It seems like life is stacked up against them. So let's dive right into the text. And we're going to pick, um, pick up uh, right after David has killed Goliath. It's a momentous victory for Israel. And so if you have your Bible, turn over to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel 18. And again, we're jumping in. This, again, concurrent right after a huge victory. And we talked about Saul's jealousy last week. So what we're going to be talking about today is going on in the middle of life under a jealous king, a jealous ruler. So I'm going to read verse 1. 1 and 2. When David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan committed himself to David and loved him as much as he loved himself. Saul kept David with him from that day on and did not let him return to his father's house. So here's what's pretty cool in this passage. We hear the king's son, Jonathan. Saul has just finished talking to David after the battle with David and Goliath. And Jonathan immediately commits himself to David and loves David. For a dude that, like, they've never met, be kind of weird. Like you're, you're in the, the monarch's tent, and the son comes in, like, man, that was an awesome battle. Hey, I'm committing myself to you for the rest of my life, and I love you. Like, if you're like this little kid, you're like, what? This giant killer, and the king's son is befriending him. The king's son is saying, I desire a friendship with you. What's cool about that is David's already anointed to be king of Israel. And you think, why would the son of the current king want to be friends with the future king? Isn't that a conflict of interest? Isn't that going to end badly? Covenant friendship disregards prior or future complications for the sake of pursuing friendship. We talk about covenant friendship as point number one. Sometimes we need to disregard prior or future complications for the sake of and we'll nuance that and we'll contour that because I know that can be kind of a scary thing. So that's 1 Samuel 18, 1. And then I love Jonathan's words. He committed himself and he loved David. And covenant friendship, the DNA of what covenant friendship is, it's love and unity. In Hebrew, we get these words, unity is one in spirit, kashar and nefesh. And it means mixed 
to the soul and a refreshing breath of air. You guys ever felt that friendship that you have with someone is just a refreshing breath of air? When you spend time with that someone, they're like, you refresh me. I know like half the women in the church, that's exactly the language they use. They get tired. It's one of the girls in a life group. They get tired with a friend. It's refreshing. When you live life together, it's like you're knit to the soul. This is what Jonathan is doing. And then I think this word love is great because it means Jonathan is basically saying, I'm going to love you as I love my own breath. Isn't that beautiful? I know sometimes it's hard when we're talking about friendship. You, you could be taking inventory in your life right now and, and feeling like, I don't know if I have a friend like that. I don't even know. Maybe you're married. Maybe you feel like, I don't even know if my spouse is like that. They love me as they love their own breath. And we see that language come up in Ephesians 5 when Paul's talking to husbands and wives, challenging the husbands to love their wives as they love their own body. It's the same principle. It's a beautiful principle. And John is saying, I'm going to love you as I love my life. I don't know about you guys, but I think all of us love our lives and we like to keep it. We like to stay alive what Jonathan is pledging. I think what's cool is it also reflects one of the core values of our church. Um, one of the core values of our church is, is love and unity. And uh, again, if you're unfamiliar, our church is part of a network of churches called Great Commission Churches. And uh, we have a statement of faith, and, but we also have core values. And if you, you know, look across any church website, they've got a statement of faith. That doesn't necessarily tell you what that church values when you visit that church. It tells you their theology which is good, but what does the church value? So our core value of love and unity is we desire our ministry to be marked by Christ-like, selfless love, loyalty, and unity with fellow believers. What does that look like practically? Number one, that the gospel of Christ and Jesus Christ himself is our example of love and unity. Both his example of love with the Trinity and his love for us. The second thing is the relationships with believers is that we believe that, hey, our relationships with believers in our church should be marked by love and unity. The practical application of this is just being a part of a small group where you get to live life with people. You get to let them know the stuff going on in your life and they get to let you know the stuff going on in their life. And you pray for them, you meet one another with them, you become a refreshing breath of life to one another. And then the last is just leadership. We believe that, hey, that the leaders are going to be trying to lead in unity and love. And that reflects pastors leading together in unity and love. So our model is that we don't have a hotshot lead pastor. Sometimes I, I get talked to all the time around town. So are you the lead pastor of the church? I'm like, no, I serve in the plurality of elders. And, and most people just kind of like nod. And like, okay, so you're the church pastor. <laughs> no, it, it's a totally different model. It's not about the main speaker. And it's not about a leader. It's, it's about leading in love and unity together. And then the last thing that we do um, that models this core value is we've got a, a partnership class coming up in two weeks after church. If, if you're new here and you want to get to, to know more information about the church, want to become a partner with us, um, we typically have some barbecue after church and just run through our partnership class. So it's an awesome time. We'll invite you to that in two weeks' time. So let's move on to truth three and four for covenant friendship. So we're going to skip down um, the next verse, First Samuel 18, verse 3. It says, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as much as himself. Then Jonathan removed the robe he was wearing and gave it to David. 
along with his military tunics, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Covenant friendship patterns itself after God's covenant with us. In Genesis 15, God made the covenant with Abraham, essentially promising him that he would be there for him and he'd make his inheritance like the stars of sky. And then God passed through the sacrificed animal. While Abraham was sleeping, Abraham didn't pass through the animal pledging covenant. God solely pledged covenant to Abraham. Abraham was asleep. And we'll circle back and touch that a little bit later. But Jonathan pledges and makes covenant with David. And so even in the Old Testament, sometimes you like to do that, you'd put your hand underneath someone's thigh. Don't worry. That's not a prescription for you guys. You're making covenant. You don't need to do that. We're not, gonna, we're not advocating your hand going under someone's thigh to make a pledge. Um, that's 1 Samuel 18.3. Jonathan makes a covenant to David. Again, that Hebrew word berith, covenant used is this sacrifice of animals, and one person walks through and, and is literally saying, by the blood of these animals, I will fulfill this. And if I do anything less, if I do anything less, my blood is spilled. It's this powerful oath Then I love, I love verse 4. It says, Then Jonathan removed the robe he was wearing, gave it to David, and said he was laying under it. Gave it to David along with his military tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Covenant friendship, this is point number four, arms the other with weapons of war and garments of honor. In our friendships, are we helping our friends go to battle and go to war against their enemies? Are we arming them with honor? What's remarkable about this, in Israel at this time, there are only two swords. As we said earlier, technologically inferior. There's only two swords, technically three, because David kind of took Goliath. But Jonathan chooses to give up the weapon that he had. The only other two swords were owned by Saul and his sons as marks of their leadership, as marks of their ability to wage war, and Jonathan gives up a weapon that could hurt David. That is power. In our friendships, are we giving up the things that we can maybe hurt others? Because we all have that that comes in. Whether it's we've done something differently, we made it a different decision than they would have done. Whether it's bitterness or anger, even a piece of information that we shouldn't know, but now we know. And Jonathan gives it all up. He said, David, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to give you all the weapons that I have. I want to make you successful. I want to make our friendship meaningful in this battle. That is so powerful and so beautiful. It's such a, uh, a pure, pristine picture of friendship. Are we giving to others the things that we can guard? Let's keep on moving right along. So this is kind of the beautiful aspect of the friendship that we just hit. We're going to start hitting the messy aspect of the friendship. And I think that's true for all of us, right? We have this new friend that we're hanging out. We get married. We have this, like, awesome honeymoon phase. Like, you know, we roll together. We die together. Like, this is awesome. And then we're going to start hitting the mess. We're going to start hitting the areas where friendship gets hard and difficult. Is Jonathan, does he stay true to his word? 
So one, um, one more chapter over. We're going to pick up in 1 Samuel 19, 1 through 7. And um, Saul, uh, I'm just going to summarize this passage for you guys. You guys can read it if you want, but um, this is the ARV version, Andrew Revised Version. Um, Saul orders Jonathan and his companions and his military to go kill David. Immediate confrontation. But what does Jonathan do? Jonathan goes to the back of David and comes back to his father Saul and says, listen, why are you ordering the death of an innocent man who's helping to protect our country by our enemies? And Jonathan reasons with his father this jealous king to spare David's life to not commit unjust murder. Point number five for covenant friendship is this idea that you protect and defend your friends in word and in deed. Because Jonathan could have just said, hey, I'm just going to like step away. Whatever happens, happens. But he didn't. He went to bat in word and deed. Are we going to bat for our friends in word and deed in the face of injustice? Again, skipping down to next chapter in 1 Samuel 20. We're at point number six. Covenant friendship is going to risk position, honor, and other relationships for your main aim. Again, we're going to summarize verses 1 through 30. Again, Saul's desire, Saul's spirit of jealousy that's within him wants to kill David. And so he sets up this elaborate kind of feast. David's going to be there, and Saul um, is going to kill David at the feast. Jonathan figures out what's going on, figures out his dad's plan, and he kind of arranges this, like, secret code with David. If Saul is really serious about killing him, Jonathan is going to let David know. Um, pretty much, um, David tells Jonathan to lie to him, but he, instead of going to the feast at the palace, he's going to go to the feast with his family. And if his dad asks where he is, Jonathan's going to cover for him. And so Jonathan covers for him. Jonathan tells his dad that David's left his family. This is what his dad says in verse 30. This is what Saul says. Again, 1 Samuel 20, verses 30. Then Saul became angry with Jonathan and shouted, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Don't I know that you're citing Jesse's son for your own shame and to the disgrace of your mother? Every day Jesse's son lives on earth and you and your kingship are not secure. Now send for him and bring him to me. He deserves to die. I mean, th this is... Saul is slurring his son. He's slurring his life. He is jealous. And what is he thinking about? He is thinking about his fame, his glory, his kingship, and that of his son. But that's not what Jonathan is thinking about. Jonathan is thinking about his friendship, the love that he has with David. But Jonathan is also thinking about the future of Israel because David's going to name the rightful king of Israel. And so again, this is where friendship gets messy. Jonathan defends David before his father. And this is where our friendships get really messy too, don't they? 
we can make a choice sometimes to see people. I mean, the, the saying is blood is thicker than water. And here Jonathan is standing up to bother for something he knows about, standing up to offend for something that he believes. Not only the friendship that he has with David, but the ultimate purposes of God for the nation. In some ways, Jonathan is defending his faith in God. His faith in God's people. And Jonathan recognized that, hey, where I'm at in my station, it's not aligning to God's plan. I want to align myself to God's people. I think we see Jonathan is just this hero, right? This friend who's sticking up. We all want that kind of friend. And I think sometimes what's hard is we all want to be that friend. And here we have this example from Jonathan that should inspire us to be that kind of friend to others. Let's keep moving. We're going to stay in 1 Samuel 20. And um, so once Jonathan, again, that's pretty strong language from your dad. Once Jonathan's like, all right, my dad's made up his mind. He really is going to kill David. Um, he shares with David. Again, they have this code. Um, just to summarize, they have this code where um, David's actually hiding in a field outside the palace. And so Jonathan, who's an archer, um, just shoots this arrow um, near where David's uh, lying down. And he sends one of the servants to go get it. And, and then the code was... You know, Jonathan say, hey, the arrow's farther than you think. Come on back. And David would know that that meant it's not safe to go back to the palace. And so the servant comes back, and Jonathan says, hey, go ahead and run back to the palace. Um, and David and, and um, Jonathan are eating sweet time of fellowship um, before David begins to flee from Saul. Um, and uh, this is verse 41 and 42. Um, and... Uh, Says this, when the young man had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone easel, fell with his face to the ground, and bowed three times. Then he and Jonathan kissed each other and wept with each other, though David wept more. Jonathan then said to David, go in the assurance that you have a pledge from the Lord of the world, where he said, the Lord will be a witness between you and me, between my offspring and offspring forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went into the city. This is one of the cool things, and this is point number seven. Covenant friendships always are going to emote with one another. There's weeping, there's peace, there's assurance of love and unity. And I think, man, this is where I want to, like, challenge the dudes in the audience. Like, sometimes we have a little trouble emoting, right? We, we don't like to, you know, we, we think it might make us um, appear weak, feminine, or... And, and here we have these two awesome warriors just giving each other a big bear hug, crying that their friendship is going to be cut off not in, in heart, in their spirit, but actually in their physical presence with one another. They're weeping, they're crying. As guys, we get excited when we catch like a fish that's a foot and a half. We like tell our friends we caught a four-foot fish. We get excited when, when our teams win. We get excited, we get pumped up when we nail a shot on the golf course. But to sit and cry with our wife, our bride, to come alongside another friend that's that's hurting, he's got something going on in his life, we just kind of want to like stay away from them? Guys, let it not be so. Again, this example should inspire us 
but these men who love their God, who are, def- who are excited about defending Israel, seeing Israel at peace, they're weeping and crying years for them. I think that's powerful. And guys, oftentimes our wives and women are one step ahead of us with emotionally carrying what's going on. I think, one, we should dial into that. Two, we should pray and beg God, God, help us to dial in to the emotions around it. Because covenant friendship does that. And I'm not going to say this is going to be easy, guys. We're, we got a long way to go. We've got to learn. But I think it will pay off some great dividends in our friendship as we learn how to be emotionally connected with God. It really matters. And I'm going to be the first to like freely confess my wife has to train me in this. My wife has to rebuke me in this. My wife has to just sometimes ask, Andrew, where is your head? It's important. Again, guys, sometimes we can get so excited about leveling up in a video game. And our friends are hurting next to us. Our priorities are so out of whack. So out of whack. So let's fast forward a couple chapters in the narrative. Um, Again, most of this time, David's on the run. Saul is trying to kill him. So David's on the run. And we see, we see Jonathan and David, they're able to get this like sweet time of friendship. And this is verse, um, <coughs> 1 Samuel 23, verses 15 and 16. David was in the wilderness of Ziph in Horus when he saw that Saul had come out to take his life. Then Saul's son Jonathan came to David in Horus and encouraged him in his faith in God. Isn't that powerful? Even alluding that Jonathan has had like a bigger picture of their friendship, a bigger picture of what God's going on. But here we get it. Jonathan comes out and he encourages David in his faith in God. Oh, for friends like that. Oh, for friends that come alongside of us and encourage us in our faith in God. And we've got it so backward in our culture. We get excited with our friends when we get to go out and watch a movie together. Oh, wow, that our friends would come alongside us and that we would come alongside our friends. Instead of going to watch a movie together, we would encourage one another in scriptures and faith in God and the promises of God and what he's doing in our lives. Point number eight, covenant friendship involves time and strengthening one another with God. At some point, there's going to be a sacrifice of time that you've got to make and you've got to invest. And then strengthen one another in God. Don't just strengthen one another in, in spending time or watching a movie or having a great Starbucks drink together. Spend time strengthening one another in the purposes and promises of God. This is what covenant friendship looks like. This is how we redeem friendship. All right, we're going to stay in 1 Samuel 23, the next few verses, verses 17 and 18. This is how Jonathan encourages David. He says, don't be afraid, for my father Saul will never lay a hand on you. You yourself will be king over Israel, and I'll be your second in command. Even my father Saul knows it's true. Then the two of them made a covenant in the Lord's presence. Afterwards, David remained in Horus, and Jonathan went home. Point number nine is covenant friendship continually renews covenant and fulfills God's purposes. Are you and your friends, again, just to be as narrow as you're married, realistic to your kids, realistic to your people in your home group. Our lives are full of relationships. 
but are we continually renewing covenant with people and helping people fulfill the promises of God, telling our friends, I am for you, I appreciate you, I love you, I'm excited about where your life is going. And again, this is God's purpose. This is the big vision that Jonathan sees and that maybe David was beginning to waver. Because David knew what his stake was. Because David, all told, David's going to be on the run in his life for over 10 years from Saul. 10 years running from someone who wanted to kill him. How sweet and thankful is Jonathan that every once in a while he can come and and tell him Imagine for us how sweet is that story, that scripture when he comes to us and says, life is hard. You feel like you're going on the run forever. I'm for you. I'm with you. Let's do this together. The purpose that Jonathan would flush David with his own kingship means the enemies of Israel would be defeated. And Jonathan said, I am wholly behind you. I can't wait to be your king. I can't wait to be your army commander. I don't want to be king. I want to help you accomplish everything that God has for your life. Again, we start coming back to what covenant marriage is. We start coming back to the beauty of friendship. And so um, we're uh, wrapping up, and uh, we're going to jump to 1 Samuel 31. As I shared, 10 years are passing. This is 1 Samuel 31, 1 and 2. Philistines fought against Israel, and Israel's men fled from them. Many were killed on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines overtook Saul and his sons and killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchishua. Jonathan dies. Jonathan's greatest hope of being David's army commander, seeing David as king, it doesn't happen. And I mean, this is like, if we start reading 1 Samuel but what it is, by the end of the story, we're going to start to cry. Because we see loss, we see love, and we see what happens when leaders don't follow the leader, when Saul doesn't follow God. Jonathan dies on a hill fighting the battle of Israel against their enemies. Um, a couple things that, that stands out to me um, one of the things that I love about Jonathan is in a day and age where, again, as we've come out of the time of judges, we've come out of the societal time, and in this monarchy, everything that has happened before talks about Israel and the men of Israel going back to their tents. If something bad happened, they'd all flee their tents. If something good happened, they'd still all go home. What I love about Jonathan is he doesn't say he's fledging to go home. He doesn't say he's going back to his tent. He says he's going to accomplish, help David accomplish his his purposes in life. Jonathan is not thinking on an individual level. And the problem with our friendship sometimes here is that we are thinking on an individual level. We're thinking about us. We're thinking about what we want. We're thinking about our rights. We're thinking about our emotions. We're thinking about what has hurt us. And why, why isn't our friendship like this? And Jonathan just says, I'm going to drop all that. He can pick it up. He can say he's the son of the rightful king. But he says, it's not worth it. It's not worth 
is because God has a better plan for relationship. In our lives, God has a better plan for relationship than us feeling validated Why don't you follow the example of Christ and help lay down your life and your life so others can flourish as well? That's a completely different view than what we're used to. In my marriage, it's a completely different view, and I'm unlearning things as I'm laying down some of the rights and some of the junk that I have. And so Jonathan dies on the hilltop. This is what David um, does is flip over to Second Samuel one. He hears about it, and um, David writes a psalm. He's he's a psalmist, he's a musician, he's a lyricist, and he writes a psalm. He's emoting what's going on. This is verse nineteen. The splendor of Israel lies slain on your heart, on your heights. How the mighty have fallen. Do not tell it in Gath, don't announce it in the streets of Ashkelon, for the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice. Mountains of Gilboa, let no dew or rain be on you or fields or offerings, for they are the shield of the mighty as defiled. The shield of Saul no longer anointed with oil. Jonathan's bow never retreated. Saul's sword never returned unstained from the blood of the slain, from the bodies of the martyrs. Saul and Jonathan loved and, and delighted, nor they, they were parted in life or in death. They were swifter than eagles, but stronger than lions. Daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxurious things, who decked your garments with brilliant ornaments. How the mighty have fallen in the pitch of battle. Jonathan lies slain in the street. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were such a friend to me. Your love for me was more wonderful than the love of a woman to me. How the mighty have fallen and weapons of war have perished. A lot has been said about kind of that line about David's love was greater than that of a woman, but I, I think what we're getting at is that David, again, is emoting the loss of his friendship. David is going to continue his covenant with Jonathan um, in 2 Samuel 9, 1 through 13, when David finally is king. He comes back and he asks, is there any offspring of Jonathan that's still alive? Because I want to protect him and love him. There's one, Mephibosheth. He's lame. And David invites Mephibosheth to his table, gives him land and servants. He says, because of the covenant I have with your father, I've taken you back to my people. This beautiful, beautiful picture of relationship. And so I want us to pivot We've been talking about David and Jonathan. I want us to pivot a little bit because um, in John 15, 13, Jesus tells his disciples, there's just no greater love is known to be known than for a friend to lay down their life for his friends. And then he tells his disciples, you are my friends. And I can't help but think, I can't help but wonder, if we've already got the perfect picture of love from David and Jonathan. Jonathan laying down his life for David as his friend. I think this helps contextualize the gospel. This helps us understand that Jesus is telling his disciples that he is going to go lay down his life for them because he loves them. 
He wants to accomplish the purpose of God. And accomplishing the purposes of God meant Jesus laying down his life so we could have an opportunity to shop in relationship with him. So he tells his disciples and he tells everyone else that the work of God, the work of God that you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. This is a perfect structure of life. This is a climactic moment of life. And so the practical application, we've been talking about David and Jonathan, but the practical application really is this. Do you love Jesus Christ who laid down his life for you so that you could have a relationship with him? And maybe you're here and you're not exactly sure if you've ever made that you know, at Awakened Church, we don't um, have altar calls. We don't ask you to raise your hands every time. We just say, hey, talk to the person that brought you or, or come talk to one of the pastors, the elders after church. And we'll share with you how to have a relationship with God. We're not going to force you. We're not going to arm twist you. Because our desire is that you fall in love with Jesus Christ who made covenant with us. Again, all the way back to Abraham. Abraham was asleep when God made covenant. I wasn't there on the cross, but guess what? Jesus Christ made covenant with me. It was his blood that was shed, and it was his body that was pierced, and and I get to walk through that with our deliverer. So what are some practical applications? That perhaps is a big one. A few more things as we talk about covenant friendships and relationships. I think it's important to discern your friendships now. You're not too young have covenant friendships in youth group. You're not too old to have covenant friendships in your senior citizens. But discern your relationships now. Maybe some things need to change. Particularly in college, are, are you running with someone in Christ that's going to be checking into your life, holding you accountable, helping you wage war, strengthening and encouraging you in faith? Discern your relationships now. Maybe your marriage, maybe there's some things that, that you need help in your marriage. Maybe this covenant friendship that you've been hearing about for the last 30 minutes just is just the tip of the iceberg. Maybe you feel like, hey, I don't have that with my spouse, but I'd love, love to get that. I think the first step is honesty, talking to the spouse. The second step is, hey, how can we get help for that? A few years ago, my wife and I, we had some marriage counseling that tremendously helped us. And you might be thinking, like, a pastor, they don't need marriage counseling. Yeah, they do. And you do. You should do. Maybe you feel like you don't have a friend like David was to Jonathan and Jonathan was to David. Pray that a friendship now or a friendship later in your life that you would have that covenant friendship. Pray that that would maybe, again, if you're not feeling that in your marriage, pray that that would become the case in your life. I think a cool another practical application is, is your home group. At Awaken, we have home groups. And our heart is that home groups aren't just like this event that happens once a week where you go to and kind of study the Bible a little bit and hang out with people and maybe you get a meal, maybe you don't. Our home groups is where covenant friendship is lived out. We have multiple couples in our church that man, they've chosen to live next to one another so they can be covenant friends with one another. It's beautiful. Another expression is what about church planting? What about intentionally aligning yourself with people with a desire of planting a church. 
Do you realize how many friendships are in that? Um, I want to say this, as we shared earlier. How many friendships get messy? They get emotional. They get frustrating. They get hard. And if you're sitting here and, and there's some skills that you need to have, and we're not going to go into all these, but some of the skills that you have to learn. And when I say learn, learn means you pr- position yourself, you submit yourself under another authority. And you help learn and even put in practice and obey what they're telling you. See, in America, we don't like learning. We like knowing. We, we are big fans of knowing. We really are. We, we can be full with knowledge. But we don't like learning because learning is hard. Learning means you have to humble yourself. Learning means that if you really want to be the king, you can't. Because you've got to follow and learn with him. But these learning tasks, these learning skills, you've got to learn humility and grace. Love over looking closely. You've got to learn conflict resolution. You've got to learn how to affirm people. Guys, again, we can talk all day about the game, but do we know how to affirm our wives? We've got to be vulnerable. We've got to learn how to give. We have to learn how to invite people to hold our lives accountable. We've got to learn how to, for, again, forgive one another. That's a whole other sermon. I'll save it for after lunch. We've got to learn how to encourage. These things we've got to learn how to do. Um, building covenant friendships is crucial. And I guarantee you that at some stage of the game, the friendship that you have with someone is going to get tested and tried. There's going to be an argument not the end of the world. Learn how to humble yourself, submit to yourself. Learn how to pursue the purposes of God for relationships. Learn how to strengthen one another in God. And then the last, I, I think, is just the, one of the most beautiful expressions of this is marriage. Husbands, love your wives. Lay down your life for your wives. Just as Jonathan laid down his life for David, just as Christ laid down his life for us. Husbands, lay down your Marriage isn't the only expression of covenant friendship. I love that our youth and our college students would have this big vision of what it looks like to have covenant friendship with one another. Let me pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your grace. Lord, we thank you for this picture of friendship that we get to see in the word of God. We thank you, God, that you've come to redeem friendships and you've shown that through the example of Jesus Christ. Lord, I I pray that our friendships would begin to align more and more with the word of God, that our friendships would begin to align more and more, Lord, with the beautiful picture of covenant friendship that you have for us. Lord, I pray that you just help me. You'd help me all the more to learn how to do this. It's a lifelong skill, God. I pray that you would help me grow in that. Again, thank you for this time, Father. We thank you for your word. Amen.